Hello, welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Apologies for the lateness of this episode, hopefully it'll be worth waiting for. Before we start, I'd just like to remind everyone that the e-book of the Myths of Ancient Greece is now available on Amazon.com, Amazon.co.uk and all other Amazon companies. Its Amazon ASIN number is B00C8B0K0Y. Or you can find it by searching in the Kindle eStore using the terms Myths Greece. You should see it on the second page. All details can be found on the website www.mythandhistory.podbean.com. Click on to the News and Comments tab on the website and you'll find everything you need to know just there. The Myths and History of Ancient Greece Chapter 23 An Unwanted Gift Paris, Prince of Troy, was very pleased with himself indeed. It was his arrow that had struck the heel of the mighty Achilles, even though Apollo had done the real work. It was Paris too who was now heir to the throne of Troy. Hector was dead, and so Paris would be king once Priam died. Paris thought that Helen would be really pleased, as she would soon be queen of Troy. The magic of Aphrodite was nearly gone, though, and Helen was not pleased. All she wanted to do was go back to Sparta and live a peaceful life with her real husband. Paris, determined to ensure that he had something to succeed too, rejoined the battle with renewed courage. On the other side of the field, someone else was doing the same thing. Philoctetes, determined to make up for being marooned on Lemnos for ten years, threw himself into the battle. He saw Paris, just as Paris saw him. Paris raised his bow and fired, but Philoctetes dodged and the arrow hit another Greek. Philoctetes watched his fellow soldier die and growled in anger. Dog, he shouted at Paris, you have caused this death and destruction and now it is your turn to die. He raised the bow of Heracles and placed one of the arrows dipped in the blood of the hydra against the bowstring. Slowly he drew it back and carefully he aimed. The shot was good and the arrow flew unerringly towards Paris. The arrow hit Paris on his right wrist. It was not enough to kill him outright but the poison began to do its work. The next arrow hit him in the side. This was not enough to kill him either, but more poison entered his blood. Paris, in great pain, begged his comrades to take him to Mount Ida, where the poor nymph Oinone could heal him. Paris thought that his first wife would still be in love with him, and would be only too pleased to help. Paris was wrong. Oinone refused to heal him, and sent him back down the mountain. He was dead before he reached the bottom. A funeral pyre was built for him where he died, and the soul of the cause of the whole war made its way to the underworld. Now, what did we say in the last chapter? What would lead to the Greeks finally taking Troy? Yes, the death of one son of Priam, the marriage of another, and the treachery of a third. Paris was a son of Priam, and he was dead, so the death has happened. Helen was free. Paris was dead, so now she could go home. The Trojans, though, had no intention of letting her go she was forced to marry another of the remaining sons of Priam. Two of them, Helenos and Deiphobos, both wanted to be Helen's new husband, but Priam chose Deiphobos. He and Helen were married. Helen was very upset. Now, Deiphobos was a son of Priam, and he was married, so now the marriage has happened. Helenos was very annoyed. He stormed out of Troy and was almost immediately captured by Odysseus. 
Now, there is something about Helenus we have not found out yet. Helenus was a twin, and both he and his twin had the same special gift. His twin's gift had been ruined by a curse, but his had not. Both he and his twin could see into the future. Unlike Cassandra, though, the predictions of Helenos were believed. Helenos was marched into the Greek camp and brought before Agamemnon and the rest of the Greek kings. Agamemnon was busy deciding whether or not to kill Calchas for being such a useless seer, and poor Calchas was trembling with fear. Agamemnon turned to the unexpected visitor and demanded he tell them the secret of the fall of Troy. Helenus thought carefully. I owe Troy nothing. I will tell you the one thing which is preventing you Greeks from taking the city. In the temple of Athena, in Troy, there is a statue. It is called the Palladium, but we Trojans call it the Luck of Troy. The statue was cast down by Zeus to show where the city should be built, and no city can ever fall while the Palladium is within its walls. We used to keep it in a temple on Mount Ida, but Troy fed fell to Heracles while it was there. I advised my father to move it into Troy, because I can see the future. I knew that Troy would not fall if we brought the Palladium to the town. I know that it will fall once the Palladium is gone. Helenus was a son of Priam, and he had told the Greeks what they needed to do to take Troy. So now the treachery has happened. Agamemnon clapped his hands with glee. We must steal this statue, he said. OK, so who will I choose to go and steal it? He thought for all of no seconds at all, before deciding who he was going to send. And who was it? Yes, of course, the task was given to Odysseus and Diomedes. As the two friends prepared to go up to Troy, they came up with a plan. Odysseus got Diomedes to beat him up. Yes, Diomedes gave the king of Ithaca a really good kicking. Then he dressed Odysseus in rags and covered him in filth. By the time he was sent on his way, he looked like a tramp, which, of course, was the idea. Diomedes took Odysseus, under the cover of darkness, to the gates of Troy, and then hid himself in the undergrowth while he waited for his friend to return. Odysseus was a very clever and cunning man. He convinced the guards on the gate and all of the other Trojans that he was a beggar and had been badly treated by the Greeks. He convinced them he knew the plans of the Greeks and told them a load of whopping lies while they treated his injuries and gave him some new clothes. He was taken to the house of Helen and Diaphobos. The son of Priam told Helen to help the poor man and tend to him. Helen recognised Odysseus immediately, but she said nothing until they were alone. Odysseus tried to deny that it was really him, but Helen was not deceived. She begged him to give a message to Menelaus and swore she would not give him away. When Paris died, she said, the last little bit of the magic of Aphrodite left me, and I am a wretch. I long for Sparta, Menelaus, and Hermione. This Diephobos is an awful man, and he treats me badly. Again and again I have tried to escape, but they always catch me. I will gladly help you if you need me to. Odysseus thought for a while, and decided he could trust her. They planned together how they could steal the Palladium, and they also planned the final capture of the city. Odysseus, it seemed, had a plan. This plan had something to do with a giant wooden horse, but more of that later. Helen helped Odysseus escape by distracting the guards. She made a lot of noise pretending that she was trying to escape, allowing Odysseus to scramble over the walls silently and unnoticed. He joined up with Diomedes. The next night, 
Odysseus and Diomedes entered the city through a drain which Helen had told Odysseus about. The drain came up very near to the centre of Troy, and very, very near to the temple of Athena. The two friends silently entered the temple and nicked the palladium. They then left by the same route that they had entered and ran back to the camp. The luck of Troy was in the hands of the Greeks. The last thing keeping the city of Troy safe was gone. The Greeks, not trusting the palladium to bring them good luck, took it to a shrine on Mount Ida and guarded it there. There it remained until one of the few men who escaped from Troy took it with him on a long journey. Agamemnon brought all of the Greek leaders together and spoke to them. The time has come, he said. Everything is in place. Now we can take Troy. We must leave at once. Odysseus, though, spoke up. Everything is in place, yes, he said. But that does not mean that Troy will simply form, fall if we storm the walls. We need to use our cleverness and cunning if we are to be successful. Fortunately, I have a cunning plan. He spoke slowly and carefully and outlined his plan to the rest of the leaders. When he had finished, Agamemnon and the other kings looked at him with great respect. It was indeed a very cunning plan. The Greek army built the wall that was protecting their ships even higher. Men were sent up onto Mount Ida to cut down trees, and these were brought back behind the ever-growing wall. When the wall was complete, the Greeks began to build. The Trojans, looking out from their walls, could not see any of what was going on. And what a mighty thing it was that they built. Odysseus drew up the plans, and they were followed to the tiniest detail. When it was finished, the clever hero looked up at it and smiled. It was perfect. It was exactly as he had imagined it. The thing in front of him was a huge wooden horse. The neck had a purple mane sprinkled with gold. The head had eyes made of amethyst. The mouth had rows of jagged white teeth, and the bridle was encrusted with jewels. The body of the horse was hollow, and had enough space in it for thirty men, and there was a secret hidden trap door in the bottom. The horse's nostrils were cleverly designed, so that air could flow in and out of the hollow body. The tail was also sprinkled with gold. The legs ended with hooves made out of polished bronze. The hooves were mounted on giant wheels, so that the horse could be pulled along the ground. Memnon summoned all of the kings and leaders that were still alive, and Odysseus stood before them and spoke. My friends, we are now ready. Athena has guided and protected me, and we can finally take Troy. We will take the city by way of a cunning plan. Those of you who dare, follow me into the horse. Minon will trick the Trojans, and thirty of us will enter the city in this fine wooden beast. Once inside Troy, we will throw open the gates and let in the whole Greek army. Mighty Agamemnon, you must take the ships and wait near the island of Tenedos. Sinon will light a fire on the grave of Achilles as a signal that all is ready. When you see the fire, you will lead the Greek forces into Troy through the opened gates. Now, among the rest of you, who will join me inside the horse? Virtually all of the Greeks stepped forward to volunteer. Odysseus chose Menelaus and twenty-eight others. When darkness fell, Odysseus climbed into the horse first, and climbed up through the hollow body into the head, where there was a spy hole for him to see through. The others climbed in after him, and the trap door was shut. Agamemnon ordered that the wall be pulled down and the camp burned. Then the whole Greek army boarded the ships and sailed away. Morning came. The Trojans looked out over the plains outside their city and saw nothing. No wall, no Greeks, no ships. All they could see was a large wooden thing, 
and they wondered what it was. The Trojans sent out scouts who cautiously left the city and went to search the place where the Greek camp had been. They returned to Troy. Yes, they said, the Greeks are gone. There is nothing left but a magnificent wooden horse, decorated with gold and jewels. The population of Troy, led by their king, flung open the gates and rushed out onto the plain, which had for the last ten years been a battlefield. When they reached the horse, they gazed up at it. That, said one of them, is awesome. As they looked more closely, they could see a message on the horse. For their return home, the Greeks dedicate this horse to Athena as an offering of thanks. The Trojans did not know what to do. The priest of Apollo, Laocoon, was very suspicious. I fear the Greeks, especially when they bring gifts, he said, and flung his spear at the horse. It hit the side and made a booming sound. It was clear the horse was hollow. Laocoon demanded that the horse be flung into the sea. Others, though, said it was a gift from Athena and they must keep it and bring it into her temple in Troy. The Trojans argued amongst themselves, unsure of what to do next. At the moment they were arguing, Sinon arrived. He was caked with mud and filth and was limping, badly injured. His hands were handcuffed together. He stopped in front of Priam and dropped to his knees. Great king of Troy, he said. That hateful man Odysseus tricked the Greeks into killing the noble Palamedes. Only I knew that he had done it, and I told him he could not get away with his crime. This is what he did to me. I hate Odysseus and the Greeks more than you do, so I will tell you what I know. Agamemnon has been told a prophecy. The Greeks will never take Troy during this war. Athena told us we must return home and set out again another time. She told us to make this horse as an offering to her. She warned us to make it so large that it will not fit through the gates into Troy, because no city which has this horse inside its walls can ever be taken. The Greeks were about to kill me, but I escaped. Now I hate them so much I have told you Trojans how you can save yourselves. This was perhaps the most enormous pile of whopping lies ever heard, but the Trojans seemed about to fall for it completely. They looked towards Laocoon, who was at the altar of Poseidon, with his two sons. As they watched, two serpents slithered towards them and crushed all three of them. This, it was clear to the Trojans, was an omen. It made their minds up. The horse was dragged to the walls of Troy. It wouldn't fit through the gates, and so the Trojans pulled down a section of the wall. They dragged the horse to the temple of Athena and rebuilt it. The gates were shut and locked. Inside the horse, thirty Greeks breathed silently. Evening came. All of the Trojans were rejoicing. All that is, except one. Cassandra stood by the horse and screamed, You should be crying, not partying, you stupid people. I see warriors coming and the people of this city being slaughtered. This horse will bring our doom. She may well not have bothered, of course. Nobody believed her. The Trojans partied on until they fell asleep. Most of the guards had been partying as hard as the rest of the city, and very few of them were left guarding anything by the time darkness fell. During the night, Agamemnon led the Greek fleet back to the shores of Troy, and the army silently crept towards the city. Aphrodite, watching from above, realised the end for Troy was near and made one last attempt to save the city. She came to Helen and used her powerful magic again. Helen left the house with the Ephibos and went down to look at the horse. As she walked round it, she called out to the men inside using the voices of their wives. Helen was an excellent mimic and she sounded just like each of the wives of the Greeks. 
Odysseus heard his beloved Penelope for the first time in ten years, and he cried silently, but he knew it was a trick. All the other Greeks knew it was a trick, except a young man called Antiolos, who opened his mouth to cry. Odysseus, thinking quickly, covered Antiolos's mouth, but he was still struggling to cry out. Harder and harder, Odysseus clamped his hand over the young man's mouth until he was no longer able to cry out. Deiphobus got bored and told Helen there was nobody inside the horse and they should go home. The trick had failed. The magic wore off and Helen went home. Later that night, Sinon crept up to the horse and unlocked the door. Twenty-nine Greeks slipped out of the horse and went to the gates of Troy. The gates were opened and the army of the Greeks stormed into the city. The fury of ten years of waiting spewed out of the Greeks. There was no mercy. Menelaos ran straight to the house of Deiphobos. He found the prince of Troy, and filled with a blind rage, ran a sword straight through him and then cut him to pieces. Still mad with rage, he turned to Helen. He was about to kill her too, but he saw her and he realised it was not her fault. He took his beautiful wife in his arms and slowly, tenderly, led her out of the city. Priam went down to the altar of Zeus with his son Polites. There they were found by Neoptolemus, who killed Polites with a spear. The old king sprang to his feet. "'What wickedness is this?' he shouted. "'Your father Achilles would not have killed my son before my eyes. "'He gave me back my beloved Hector and showed mercy. "'You are no son of his.' Neoptolemus, of course, said nothing and simply killed Priam where he stood. Only a tiny number of Trojan men survived. Helenos was allowed to live as he had been helpful to the Greeks. Antenor, who had welcomed the Greek envoys at the beginning of the war, and his two sons were spared. Aeneas escaped with his father and small son. All of the other men and boys of Troy were killed, including little Astyanax. Most of the women were carried off as slaves. Andromache was given to Neoptolemus, and Agamemnon carried off poor Cassandra. When the killing was done, the Greeks set fire to Troy. The houses were reduced to ashes and the towers burned brightly in the night sky. The buildings fell and the walls fell on top of them. The city of Troy was destroyed, never to be inhabited again. The Greeks made their way back to the ships. It was time to go home. Some of them would not be in for a happy homecoming. Some would not arrive home for many more years and some would not get home at all. The war, though, was over. Next week, we shall follow the Greek leaders on their journeys home and see what happens to some of them when they finally get there. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.